You're listening to World Radio Gardening. Time to look through the uh, bag of emails that we've got. <laughs> they don't come in the post these days, do they, uh, Ken? Uh, come, come electronically, the uh, questions to World Radio Gardening. And uh, the inbox has been bulging this month, hasn't it? It has indeed. And in fact, it's a sign of the weather and um, I suppose spring and leading into summer. Yes, I wanted to come on to the weather. We'll do that in a bit, but let's dive straight in with the first question, which is from uh, Jilly in Lincolnshire. She's from Boston. Thanks for emailing, Jilly. Um, now, uh, she has... Flomis. Our Flomis. Yes. Flomis. I know, it's confusing because it's, it's a PH on the front, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Plant names are very confusing. What's up with her flomis anyway? Well, uh, during the winter, she says, leaves uh, are going brown. And although the seed heads are attractive, when does she prune it? It's an interesting one. Funny enough, flomis is still one of my favourite plants. It flowers yellow uh, during the summer period. Ashes, I'll tell you what, there's a lot in... <laughs> uh, people think I'm talking about a car park plant because, you know, in, in the trade, people think, oh, it's a car park plant, you know. Some plants get accused of that. And in fact, there's quite a few flomis at Hyde Hall in the car park, but they're still my favourite. They have a lovely yellow flower during the summer period, stays on there quite a time. But they have this interesting sort of strange cone. Is it a flat coned head, if that makes sense, during the winter? And most people leave them on because they're an attractive seed head. Um, the going brown of the, of the leaf, I think is due to um, the harsh weather we've had and also wind and cold will affect the leaves badly. They do sometimes go brown. What I always do, if you've got grotty leaves on a plant, I just take the leaves off. You can just pull them off with your hand if they're feeling a bit rough. But she's really asking is, when do you prune? Well, you prune in spring so that all the damage has been done it tidies it up produces its new growth and then you'll get your flower so they are hope that helped yeah there you go jilly uh it certainly does and uh off to cheshire next uh lionel has got in touch uh on the email and uh we will give you the email address uh, at the end so uh, get your pen and paper at the ready uh, lionel's uh, hollyhocks uh, get rust and suffer with flea beetles uh, what can he do without using chemicals ken right quite difficult the the flea beetles the first thing to deal with because that's usually gets to the plant before you see them. Um, suddenly you've got all these sort of speckly little holes in there. Well, they're, not, they're like a, a, makes the surface of the leaf very rough. They're like pin-shaped uh, marks on the leaf, and that's flea beetle. Now, flea beetle you need to get to before you see it. So whereas a young hollyhock is growing, what I would do is put horticultural um, netting, a fine fleece over it, not the horticultural fleece that we use necessarily for uh, the cold, although you could use that. There are nets that are specifically designed to not allow flea beetle through them. And if you peg that down over your uh, hollyhocks, that would work well. Now, when we come to the rust, not as easy. There's really nothing much you can do. Hollyhocks get rust. They always have. They most likely always will. And really rust is something that, again, it's another one where if the leaf is really unsightly, remove the leaf and that's all you can do, I'm afraid. But the organic method for the flea beetle I've just described but can't help with the old rust. 
There you go, Lionel. Uh, with the beetles, of course, get in early before you see them. <laughs> Very early before you see them, as the plant is growing. The trick there. Uh, thank you, Ken, for that. Uh, we're off to Maureen. Uh, Maureen now. Hello, Maureen. Thanks for uh, sending us an email. Uh, she's asking, what's a, a good evergreen clematis and one that flowers in the summer? Uh, and also, when does she prune it? The trouble is the evergreens generally flower in winter. So she might have to have two here to do the job. I would suggest that what she gets is the best evergreen, the best evergreen clematis, in my opinion, is still one called clematis cirrhosa. There's several. There's one called freckles, which has literally freckles, little browny stains in the petals. The petal is a drooping petal. A drooping cluster type bell-shaped flower very very attractive looks really nice and you'll find it flowers just after christmas freckles has got the freckles there's another one called withley cream needless to say it's a creamy white color these you want to have not too far from the house hopefully so that you actually bother to look at them they're pretty tough smallish leaf cluster of leaf smallish leaf evergreen easy to grow you just prune them after flowering in the spring and off they go again. You neat and cut them down to the ground. You can just face them up and they work really well. If I was growing something like that, that's delicate and soft, I might go for something really blousy and showy in the, in the summer. So I might go for Jackmanai Superba. Now, Jackmanai is known for its big purple flower. Well, Jackmanai Superba is a better grower it's an even bigger flower and it will flower twice a year. You cut it down in February and it flowers on its new growth. And sometimes you get a second flower a bit later on in the season. So have two, don't have one. I know they cost a bit of money, but quite honestly, you'll get a better show that way. Maureen, you've got to double up. That's what Ken's saying. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, Ron is next out of the uh, email bag. These are just a, a, a selection of the emails we've had. So thank you very much for all your emails. And sorry if we, we don't get to yours. Uh, Ron's on the Isle of Wight uh, in Sandown. Uh, and uh, he has a large tree uh, tree stump. Uh, obviously uh, has cut down a, a tree uh, that's uh, uh, now um, hollowed out. Um, it's about 18 inches high. He's just wondering, Ken, whether there's something he can plant into it to make it a bit of a feature in his garden. For years, I've been telling people never keep tree stumps. <laughs> get rid of them. Yeah. Um, let's just stay on that for a minute because you should get rid of your tree stumps because as they rot, they can spread fungal diseases through the ground into other trees. So please, anybody cutting down a tree, I know the tree surgeon will say, well, it's another so many hundred pounds to get rid of your stump if it's a big one. Pay him. Get rid of it. It's really worth it. Now, what are we going to do for Ron? Well, there's not a lot that you can plant within a tree stump. You could use you could use a Wisley cream, you know, as a if you could hollow out enough, you'd need to dig it away so that you've at least got an 18-inch across. Now, what we don't know is this is 18 inches high, but what we don't know is how wide it is. If it was wide enough, you could fill it with compost. You could plant any climber is what I would do. Put a climber in and let it trail down over the 18 inches. You could easily use ivy, but, you know, there are some ornamental ivies. There's some nice uh, ivory-looking ivies and some crinkled ones with yellowish leaf as well. 
You could use euonymus, but quite honestly, I wonder whether I'd go for clematis and then just let it hang over the side and that way you're going to get flower as well. So that's what I do, but preferably I dig the blooming thing out. <laughs> I guess as well, uh, you, you mentioned obviously it's going to rot away. Uh, it'll be there for a little while uh, if yeah. you don't remove it, but but eventually it will it will totally rot away and, and actually whatever you've planted there, you, yeah, it's going to be lost, isn't it? Yes, yes, it will indeed, I mean. Okay, uh, Rini is next. Hello, Rini. Thank you very much for sending your email to uh, World Radio Gardening. Um, she uh, is... Uh, do you remember the old nursery rhyme, Ken, about mulberry bushes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we go around the mulberry bush, yeah. That's the one. Well, we're doing that with Rini because uh, she's got a bush. It's about eight foot high, but yeah. she's wondering how to make it from a bush into an actual proper tree. Right, Okay. So if it's a bush, I'm hoping it's a normal mulberry and not a white mulberry because you do need the mulberry morris uh, nigra, I think it is, or one of those. You need the red one. And all you do, if a tree comes as a bush, the job is, and it's what people do in nurseries, unless there's two things they do in nurseries. They either take all the branches off slowly as a young tree and develop the trunk and allow the top three or four branches to actually develop into the tree, or a tree is top grafted. In other words, they use a stem of a stronger type of tree, and then they graft it. In this case, she's got something. Did you say it was eight foot high? That's eight quite foot, big, yeah. So she must have three or four branches at the top that she could develop into the tree shape, and then just take the, the side shoots off. And you could take those off during the summer period. It will bleed quite a lot. Mulberries do bleed a lot, but don't worry about that. Um, one way of stopping some of the bleeding on trees that, like a mulberry in the summer is you rub charcoal onto them. That can sometimes help. But it will be bleed profusely, but as long as you keep, keep it well watered and fed, it should be fine. And you might need to support it for a bit to develop that top crown of, of branches. There you go, Rini. Um, there used to be where well, I used to work uh, um, uh, two large mulberry trees uh, mm. just next to the offices. And uh, every year, once the mulberry uh, berries had, had sort of, uh, you know, had their, their prime, shall we say, and were beginning yep. to, to ferment away uh, and uh, be past their uh, use by date, uh, we used to find that the birds used to fly into the windows a lot more because we think they were getting drunk on the fermented berries. <laughs> I can believe it. And, and isn't it, it, I mean, and it's red, red and red. It's, I know people who pick mulberries. I know people pick mulberries and I, I think on World Radio Gardening, we've, we've actually been up to the farm at Wilkins mm. where they're picking them. And in fact, it looks like you've got blood all over your hands because it's so, they're so rich red, the berry, isn't it? It certainly is, yeah. Uh, tasty, if you have them, uh, when yep. they are right, but uh, certainly. Rini, there we go. I hope that's helped you. Uh, we are off to uh, London now. Jerry has got in touch. Uh, he says he's got really heavy clay uh, where he lives, uh, Ken, and, and needs some advice as to what shrubs he can plant in, in very heavy clay soil. Right. Well, most shrubs will tolerate it, but you do need to do a bit of preparation um, work avoid anything that likes acid soil that's you avoid rhododendrons azaleas camellias none of those like clay soil for a start so avoid all those oh and pyrus pyrus is another one to avoid daphne don't grow so i've given you a list of don't grows 
Now, what you can grow is you can grow shrub roses very successfully. Don't forget that David Austin does a good range of shrub roses. They love a bit of clay. And you could grow spirea. Again, spirea comes. There's the white flowering one. You've got uh, the golden uh, princess with a pink flower and a gold foliage. Um, there's, there's a wide range of those that will tolerate that sort of conditions. Viburnums. Now, viburnums, you've got evergreen ones. You've got ritidifilia. You've got viburnum tinus. And then you've got lots of uh, different ones that you could be growing as well. Oculus with its and round uh, snowball type flowers. Viburnums are vast and you mustn't forget that you've got winter flowering viburnums as well. So um, plenty of shrubs that you can plant. Just a bit of advice though, when you're digging out the hole, see that you've got organic matter. Buy a tree and shrub compost when you're buying these plants. And then what I do is I put some of the compost round where I'm going to dig the hole. Then as I dig the hole, uh, the soil that I'm digging out, even if it's heavy clay, gets mixed in with the compost that I've left in a heap around where the, the hole's going. And then you get a mixture of soil and compost, and that's what you return around the plant after you've taken it out of the pot. And then heal it well in and water it well in. Heal water. it in means jumping on it with your no, not the plant, just where you've planted, <laughs> where the soil around, use your heel. And that's what it means, healing healing it well in, push it well into the ground. And I think it was on a previous podcast, Ken, about uh, he, when you you mentioned about healing it in, you do have yeah. to use the heel of your foot to yeah. to, to, uh, to to really uh, push it down. Um, and, and we talked about watering well, uh, Ken, and, and actually this is a good time to come on to uh, the weather we've experienced actually oh. during April been extremely dry in parts of the country there are some parts of uh, east anglia that haven't seen a drop of rain at all for the 30 days of april and i i saw on the uh, uh, television weather them saying that actually during april we had 30 nights of frost now by my calculations does mean we had one every night i think that was yeah because i think if you lived up north you got frost when it wasn't in the south and vice versa i think isn't it I think that's what happened. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a bit of a topsy-turvy and, and it's very unusual uh, that we've had such a dry, cold spell, isn't it? Uh, this now late in the year. I think it's really difficult for gardeners and farmers. I can't forget the farmers because they're in a tough time as well. But in gardens, a lot of plants have been burnt by wind and frost. Now, the real trick would... would Cover that briefly, because what you mustn't do is you see it burn and you think, oh, I'll go out and cut all that dead off because it's gone brown. Don't. Don't cut it off. Leave it alone. Um, wait till you've got your new growth, and hopefully you will get new growth from a lot of these plants. It might be lower down, but it hopefully will come. Then you cut back to where the new buds are coming. As for dryness, well, dryness is a major problem. Remember that you've just got to water the things that are the most important to you and water those that have been newly planted. And that's going to be the trick. Because if you've got a plant in the ground, there is some moisture down deep. I've been digging and planting and there is some moisture in the ground. It's not a great deal, but there is some there. So any plant that's already established itself over the last year or so should be able to cope. Watch for signs of drooping, but generally 
water what you've planted this winter and this spring because lots of people have been buying plants and getting them in the ground as we know from what's been going on at garden centers and retail nurseries mm, yeah and actually I'm, I'm yet to put my tomato plants out the seedlings are going berserk oh, uh, under the too cold don't put your the tomatoes there no yeah, it's no. too cold at the oh, moment i didn't put them out oh, so, too cold uh, yeah Having to wait just a little bit longer. Well, finally, Ken, the last email is from uh, Jackie. She's uh, in the uh, Cotswolds and talking about edibles. Uh, she's asking, when can she start to uh, sow her carrots that she'd like to sow? Well, in fact, it is a real problem. The soil temperatures are still far too low. Um, ideally, you remember Andrew Tokley from King's uh, Seeds down in Kelvin. Um, horticultural mm -hmm. director he is he, and I always remember talking to him his dad used to say it's always it's funny all these hand hand me down hints from fathers and grandfathers his father always used to say that you need seven degrees for seven nights right now that means you want a night temperature of seven before the soil is actually warm enough to sow most things um, you're not going to get that very easily at the moment but it is still far too early for her to sow carrots. It really is. So hold on and just wait for warmer weather. And it's the nights you're watching because, I mean, let's face it, you could be in your shirt sleeves in the day in the sun, but as soon as that sun goes in, the temperatures drop dramatically. And that's what you've got to watch out for. I've had a chat with Andrew this week. Shall we do a few veggie ideas as well, Owen? That sounds like a plan. We can round off our podcast here on World Radio Gardening with those tips. Okay. Well, Andrew, as I said, is from King's Seeds at Kelvin. And he go, he went on and on at me about, you know, the still, the nights are too cold. Don't rush to put any tender vegetables out. And this means that you're getting, you know, you're getting them coming through the post You've got your tomatoes are on the windowsill, aren't they, Owen? They are. Waiting yes. to go out. Yeah. And you just can't do it. You've got to hang on in. Um, your people are growing brassicas, you know, like um, cabbages and things like that, lettuce, broad bins. And you might have raised those or had them coming in um, to you. Now, you've got to harden those off, really. Now, hardening off means that you've got to get them used to the outdoor temperatures. Now, that's not too difficult because what we do at the moment if we haven't got a cold greenhouse or a heated greenhouse, you take them out of the shed or green or even indoors, outside in the day. And then at night, as soon as it's getting cold, which is about 4.30, you bring them back in. So you're slowly getting them acclimatised to the outdoor temperatures. And then things like broad beans, you should be able to plant once you've acclimatised them. And same with some of the cabbages and even a winter flower, winter raised lettuce would tolerate some cold, not necessarily frost when you've grown them indoors, but they will tolerate a bit of cold. Your potatoes, lots of people put in their earlies and mid potatoes, um, earth them up, keep earthing them up as the leaves appear. And if you've got a sign of frost, try and cover them over. Put a bit of horticultural fleece over and it will save the tops burning. Now, what are you waiting for? Well, we talked about carrots. When the soil warms up, yes, get out there. Radish, beetroot, peas, spinach. The, it just goes on and on the list. And don't forget, if you want to test the temperature, I, may, I mentioned this last time we talked about the tips from Andrew. Sow a few radish. They're cheap. If they don't come up within seven days, 
you've got a problem that the soil is far too cold. They should come up in about five days. Not up in seven, it's too cold. Keep trying with the cheap seed like radish. If you've got the opportunity of having a lean-to greenhouse or some way that, or perhaps a shed with some some glass in it that you can keep warmish, you could sow under glass now sweet corn, the courgettes, the marrows, the pumpkins and the squashes, and even bring on runner beans and French beans ready for planting out at the end of May once all the frost has gone. And I think we're going to be definitely waiting till the end of May before we can do anything. And also at the end of May, I talked about those uh, brassicas, the sprouting broccoli, winter savoys and autumn cauliflower. Now, you may laugh, really, Owen, because believe it or not, you're sprouting broccoli, you're just finishing picking now, and there we are, we're talking about sowing it now, ready for next next winter and carrying it on into spring. So they are, it goes round and round in gardens, doesn't it? Certainly does full circle, and actually, yeah, we need to be thinking now about the stuff for for the uh, late autumn and, and winter time. Yeah, I suppose it's uh, that time of year already. Even though we we're, <laughs> we're still having to hold on for the stuff that uh, we expect to be planting out uh, at the moment. Ken, thank you ever so much for for going through all of the uh, emails. Again, apologies if we've not managed to get to your email on this podcast. Do keep sending them in. The email address to get in touch to ask your question is post at world worldradiogardening.com that's post at worldradiogardening.com or you can give us a call 033 that's 033 ken our gardening expert here on world radio gardening thank you ever so much for joining us pleasure